Welcome to the Bike Talk with Dave podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Dave Mabel, and this week we have another Mountain Bike Hall of Famer, Gary Crandall. He was a longtime director for one of the oldest continuously running mountain bike races on earth, which began in Hayward, Wisconsin in 1983, the Schwamigan Fat Tire Festival. Gary was inducted into the Mountain Bike Hall of Fame in 2003. And though he and his partner sold the race to Lifetime a few years back and he retired a couple of years ago, he continues to show up to volunteer because he knows how important that race is to both the thousands of participants as well as his northern Wisconsin community. And without volunteers, Schwamigan just couldn't happen. And that's just how good a dude he is. So, without further ado, let's dive into the history of this 40-year-old race with so many great stories, so many great people, and so many great memories, with now Special Event Parking Lot Operations Consultant, Gary Crandall. Gary Crandall, what an honor to have you on Bike Talk with Dave. Yeah, thanks, Dave. King of Schwamigan Fat Tire Festival, and... It is celebrating 40 years. That's 1983. It's hard to believe it's been, I mean, mountain biking started in the 70s. Schwamigan was on the cutting edge of mountain bike racing and has survived all these years. Well, and the Schwamigan was, uh, other than the Crested Butte Fat Tire Week, which uh, still goes on, uh, we, were the, we were the longest running multi-day event. Back in the day when we were a multi-day event, which uh, which now it's more of a focus on uh, on Saturday now. Yeah, for sure. In fact, I sent you a list of questions, and I'm of course thinking about this all week, and I'm like, I didn't even ask about the Sunday Fun Day and the Cable Criterium and the Log Pool and all that stuff. But yeah, that was all a part of it, and that bowl at Tel- Telemark was iconic. I. I always remember, and I don't know, I'm probably going to go down memory lane here a little too much, but coming out of the woods and into that bowl with the crowd and the smoke from the uh, grills, (laughs) and there's always a fire going, and the noise and the music, and every now and again, the helicopter would come down and land in the center of that bowl. Like, I have goosebumps thinking about it. So, Yeah. yeah, that... And, and of course, the cable criterion was held in that bowl, and just so much fun. So many great memories. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was fun putting together that whole weekend of, and you know, uh, mountain bike events. Much like uh, the mountain bike itself, uh, there was no you know decades old blueprint. It, it was it was right. a new sport. You could do whatever you wanted. So if you wanted to stand on the edge of a hill and toss a clunker, you could. And and, yep. and that became a big deal. You know, if you wanted to do a log pull, you could. And people people just really enjoyed uh, uh, kind of that carnival atmosphere. It wasn't just you showed up at the start line, raced, and you were done. And uh, and that's kind of how we built it. Uh, just. To a, a challenge, a difficult challenge, but one that you could do and, and your whole family could enjoy somehow. Yeah, for sure. Well, we just enjoyed sitting on the hillside and watching the clunker toss yep. in the log yep. pool. And I feel like there was something with a stick, either a, a limbo or a high jump. Is that uh, We, we had actually done both, but bicycle limbo was one of the ones that we did. 
for, for okay, uh, yep. quite a long time. And we, we, we take claim, although it no longer exists, for the concept of bicycle bowling, which I, we did the last few years uh, that I was running the event, which uh, if you take a bowling ball and swing it from one side of your bike, uh, try to control your bike. I mean, it's, it's, it's a real challenge. And uh, so that was fun to do as well. Physics matters, doesn't it? It, it? Absolutely. Yeah. What sparked this first ride in 1983? Where'd the idea come from? And, uh, you know, who are the characters of that event? Right. So they're, uh, and contrary to popular belief, while I had been the face of the Shawamigan for, for, half of my life. I mean, I, I directed it for 35 years. In the first year, I actually was one of the 27 writers that wrote it. Uh, and there were five other guys who started it, um, uh, four of which uh, four of which uh, were involved uh, in one aspect or the other of uh, business at Telemark, which was a, a super thriving entity at that time. And under the, the uh, Guidance of Tony Wise, uh, 10 years earlier, the American Birkebeiner had started. Uh, basically, the guys that did uh, PR for Tony and special events and sales, they saw, you know, in the early 70s, uh, Nordic skiing started. Um, it started small. Um, uh, Tony had a special event for Nordic skiing, which very much similar to the Schwamigan had, I think, 30-some, 40-some, not many, but a few more people than we did the first year. And then it grew to thousands and thousands in, in a short time. And and light bulb kicked off in those guys' heads, and it was like, hey, this can't miss. I mean, I mean, uh, we, we, we build the initial event as a bicycle race on the Berkey Trail because mm-hmm. – Ten years into the Berkey, people knew the Berkey Trail. It had an international recognition as as a as a special events uh, venue. Um, ironically, um, while we used the Berkey Trail, and, and and most of the people that were involved in the event were part of the Telemark scene, um, just because of the way Tony Wise uh, managed things, and he bless his heart, he was the king of hospitality and a great uh, special events promoter. But we knew he would take over the event. So the first five years of the event, the uh, one of the principal members was uh, Phil Rasmussen at Lakewoods. And so if people back in the day, the first five years, we finished at Lakewoods. And um, it was interesting because during that uh, during that five years was when Tony Wise and Telemark went through its first bankruptcy. So had we had we been at Telemark, our first challenge would have been the fact that Telemark went bankrupt. And, and we kind of yeah. missed that. We missed that episode, although we did get to go through several other bankruptcies later on. You know? <laughs> I was going to say, that's that's part of the story of Telemark. And every year was kind of a, uh, it, it was like you were you were chasing a moving target oh, about sure. how to hold the expo and registration and like the, packet you, pickup and the finish line. When they tore the Coliseum down. You know, that, right. that, that was, that was, so anyway, the first five years we finished at Lakewoods, uh, we caught the wave. We, we, it's very trite to say we were the right people doing the right thing at the right time in the right place, but that's exactly where it was. And, yeah. uh, we, we were one of the early, uh, Midwestern events. There were events in Colorado and there were events in, in, uh, California where we drew, uh, some of our first uh, celebrities that came out to ride. This was different 
it was a different race course. It wasn't like a, a, a course in the mountains or out in Merritt County where it was real tricky single track stuff, although the concept of single track was yet to be developed. Um, uh, you know, we were kind of a rolling Midwestern course, you know, and, and people would always wonder, well, is that really mountain biking? Well, you know, mountain biking didn't have a script to follow. Mountain biking was anywhere you could take your bike. And, you know, the guy who was really instrumental in this and, and uh, the, the new silent sports that just came out has a cover story on Phil Van Valkenburg. And Phil is uh, Mr. Bicycle in Wisconsin. And Phil, Phil worked for Tony. He did, he did special events for Tony and worked in the sales office. And he was the first guy I rode out in the woods with. Um, and, and he, he had a map, he, he'd take his map out and his little cyclometer on his bike. And he could tell you the distance between every intersection out in the middle of the woods. This was well before Canva and well before GPS mapping. Phil was doing it with a little map tool and notes. And he's the one that designed the course basically that, that made the thing a big success. Well, I was curious about that first course and how much of it we still use. I, I know the course has evolved over the years. It's certainly, I, I've been coming since 1999. So I've seen it evolve and I've seen oh, yeah. sections change, even though they're still the same, they're different. Do you remember Babyhead Hill? I don't know if you called it Babyhead Hill, but we'd bomb down this loose, every rock was the size of a baby head and we're bombing down this thing generally with, generally with our eyes closed. That was probably the that was probably when you dumped off a, a Telemark Road Spider Lake Fire Lane and, and went down this really eroded hill down to Smith Lake. Yep, that's exactly it. Yep. that's exactly it. But uh, so that I know the course has evolved. What was that first year like, and how much of it do we still use? Well, so interesting enough, uh, you know, the uh, rail grade had been abandoned. Uh, uh, they pulled up the tracks uh, not too many years prior to the Shawamigan. And uh, actually the tracks end in Hayward and then north of Hayward, the tracks have been pulled up. And so we actually, we started on the first block of Main Street in front of Anglers. I mean, there's only 27 of us. So it was like a chalk line on the road. And what are these people doing here? And um, I, we took a left on the highway and it wasn't too far we picked up the railroad grade and we rode the railroad grade uh, north. And I remember this because one time, uh, and I think Phil was was riding, a, you know, those treacherous three-wheelers, you know, that got banned oh, sure. as the lead yep. moto. And I remember one time he kind of kind of went off the side of the railroad trestle. I mean, I mean, he was down in the ditch. And oh, uh, we've got some old photos of, people uh, uh, crossing the old rail uh, trestles on, on, on the railroad grade. And then at some point we picked up the Phipps fire lane and, and headed, started rolling on the Berkey trail. And the last 10 miles in those first five years were on uh, Rock Lake, uh, Rock Lake road, which Ooh. runs from uh, Telemark road to Lakewoods. That's how we finished. Yep. It was on, on, and it was very primitive at the time. I mean, it was an old, not used um, uh, forest road. And that's how we finished in, in Lakewoods. And then, of course, the when we moved to Telemark, the course had to change. So Yeah, was Fire Tower part of the early race course? It was. I, I have, uh, 
I actually, Phil, Phil was the first one to take me up to the fire tower, and he actually had uh, pictures from on top of the fire tower when the fire tower was actually there. Oh, cool. And, uh, uh, but it, and it got taken down like many of the fire towers did, but, uh, and the, initially the path up to the fire tower was very, very narrow. I mean, it didn't get wider and rockier until they did some logging up there one year, but, um, I can't, it's a little fuzzy if we always went up the fire tower. We might have gone down the fire tower at some time. I'd have to, I'd have to, and that, that would have been very early on, but I'd have to check with somebody who had, who had, who had done it. I, that whole middle section of the course got really convoluted. I mean, there, there were sections we went in that nobody had been in for a really long time, like, and, and, and the challenge was to take your vehicle in there and mark the course because it wasn't a developed ATV trail. You know, it was it was an old forest road that had just grown over and somehow Phil found point A to B to C to D and got got people to the finish line. So, yeah, it, yeah. it changed quite a bit. I there there's copies of some of the old maps that. Uh, uh, I'll try to dig some up, and I'll, uh, I, I'm sure I got a couple of archived uh, PDF files of the map, so I'll, I'll send them to you. You can take a look. Awesome. I'd love to see that and compare them to uh, where we're going today. And I know it's gotten faster and faster. I know our time has gotten, well, we do age, so well, I don't so know here, if we're I, faster, I, I got but... some research on that. So, uh, Jeff, uh, 27 people in the first year. Uh, Jeff Peterson was a, was a writer from Menominee, Wisconsin, and he won in two fifty four ten. Wow. Okay. So and, and it was a it was a forty miler. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, last year the 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 pro time in twenty twenty two was two oh five, so 50, 50 minutes faster, and wow. um, the top woman in the first year, Jill Scott, and there were only two women. Uh, Jill Scott, who was a, who was a, uh, she was an ice skater from Duluth that I think borrowed a bike from somebody. Wow. And I actually tracked her down to do an interview. Uh, I tracked her down via just social media connections and did an interview with her, uh, for our 25th and, 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 uh, just to find out, you know, what her thoughts were, uh, her time, first woman, 449. Oh wow! And and of course, uh, a top women's time is two nineteen. So so two and a half hours faster, you know, because the women the women are fast, you know, well matched with the men. You For know. sure, yeah. absolutely, they are. Yeah, yeah. And my time, so I finished twelfth in the first year, so I was in fifty percent, three thirty six. So twelfth place last year was two hours and 10 minutes. I mean, so the time, yeah, the times have changed quite a bit. I think my first year was around 336. Of course, I had bike trouble. I had a broken derailleur. I had to fix with the bungee cord from my camelback. Oh, yeah. And I had I had two gears from Martell's pothole? Porthole. Martell's pothole? Pothole. 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 Martell's pot. What's the story of Martell's pothole? I've always, I I always screw up calling it porthole. I don't know why. Well, so I researched that story too. Mar- Martell's uh, Martell was an area in in Norway 
um, uh, I have to go back a little bit. Daryl uh, 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 Daryl Thompson. So Daryl Thompson, uh, Bodecker Road. Uh, if you talk to the locals, is referred to as Thompson's Fire Lane. That was Daryl's uh, great granddad, and uh, so and it got switched over to Bodecker Road. Uh, some small town politics, somebody's drinking buddy was town chairman, so they named it Bodecker. But um, Daryl's family uh, settled where that Berkey Start area is, that Berkey uh, uh, trailhead uh, just north of Sealy. And uh, I interviewed Daryl about Thompson Fire Lane and Martell's. And he said Martell was a place in Norway that a lot of the settlers that ended up in Sealy came from. And um, uh, if you look at the geo, geo, geologic map of Martell's pothole, it appears to be an esker in a pothole. And those are both glacial features. Uh, an esker is a long kind of narrow ridgeback. So when you're riding, mm -hmm. like we have an esker trail that's very close to mm -hmm. Telemark. And you're riding on this thing and you're, you're on an edge and you can look down on both sides. And then a pothole is a conical shaped uh, hole in the ground that was left, you know, by the glacier because it left a big chunk of ice and carved something out and there, there'd always be a little water in the bottom. So try, try to get a USGS map and, and, and look at the topo lines in Martell's pothole. It's, 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 it's a challenge just to even look at it and, but much less riding in and out of it. But yeah, Martell's was a, was a place in, uh, in Norway. Oh, that's cool. That's good to know. So yeah, I, I broke a derailleur there and uh, had two gears from uh, from that point on and finished. I think three thirty six was my time. So so here you talk about mechanicals. So in the first year, uh, Mark Stutchen, he was a guy from Chippewa, uh, really good road rider. I mean, Mark Mark Stutchen was the kind of guy that would ride his bike from Chippewa Falls up to Grandview for the Firehouse Fifty, ride and win the Firehouse Fifty, and then he'd ride his bike home. And uh, one of my all-time favorite Shawamigan photos is, and we're finishing at Lakewoods, is Stutchen is running his bike across the finish line. And, and you can see uh, Lake Namakagan in the background. And he had broken his chain seven miles out on, oh boy. on Rock Lake Road. And so he ran in and then hopped on his bike and coasted down hills. But he's right ahead of my buddy, uh, uh, Steve Chase and Dennis Cruz. And Dennis Cruz was the guy that rode all the Shawamigans up, up to like 35 years. He, he was the last, last of the founders. And, but this, this photo of Mark Stutchen running his bike in, uh, just beating my two buddies at the line. And they, they were hammering as hard as they could. And Stutchen had broken his chain. But who, nobody carried a chain tool back then, you know? Well, <laughs> Yeah, we did. We did. We broke a chain one of our early years and I didn't have a chain tool. Some guy comes walking along, walking his bike and we're 30 miles from the finish at this point in the middle of the woods. Yeah, I, There's no way out other than to follow the Keep race, going. right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, this dude, he had broken a pedal off. He's like, take my chain tool. I'm done. I don't, I'm just walking until I get out of here. There you go. So I've carried a chain tool ever since then and, uh, and used it. That being said, we broke a chain maybe in year four and, uh, a mile to go, a mile to go. We're coming over one of the little rises, 
stand up to crank over the top of the rise chain breaks and I just watch it snake out from behind. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, D's like, what do we do? And I was like, let's just run. Let's go. So that's, we've, uh, we've run home more than once. That's a, uh, that's, that's uh, a story I've heard many times. I, I've heard many times, um, um, from tandem riders. Yeah. Well, it's uh, there's a lot of torque back there, especially with somebody like D pushing the pedals. All I do is steer the thing and, and shift every now and again. So let me ask you this. How did you come to be director? Well, so I went to, I lived all over the Midwest growing up. My, my father, uh, Chuck Charles, uh, worked for Montgomery Wards for almost 40 years. So I was born in North Dakota. I lived in Ohio. I lived in every Midwestern state with the exception of Minnesota somehow, and uh, went to three different high schools uh, before I graduated. I graduated uh, from Kenosha Bradford, and I went to UW in Madison and hung out hung out in Madison five years after I graduated. I, I had moved too much. I, I didn't want to move anymore. And so here I'm a successful school of business uh, person who never who never interviewed. I didn't interview for a job or anything. I just kind of just did a variety of things. So I was a part-time bartender and part-time furniture mover in my last years in Madison. And my brother and sister-in-law decided they were going to leave their professional jobs and move up north. So I got the moving van and I moved them up north, uh, literally to a house that was on the end of the power line. Okay, there was nobody was beyond their house had power, and and it was it was dark. The power wasn't on. It was cold. It was snowing, and while we were moving them in, uh, this good-looking single gal who lived next door came over to see uh, who was moving in, and uh, shortly thereafter, I, I I left my moving job in Madison, packed everything in my Pinto wagon, and moved north, and um, so I I had no clue what I was going to do for a living. I, I had no clue. Uh, fortunately, uh, Sarah went back to school to get her art therapy degree. And uh, so I managed our gift shop that we ran at Telemark for 25 years. And as luck would have it, when this event started, I was the self-employed guy with seasonal downtime on my hands that knew how to type. And I said, yeah, I'll help out. Yeah, I'll give you a hand. And I I'm pretty sure I didn't get paid anything the first year and, and I might've got 50 bucks a month the next year. And as it turned out, as the event grew uh, astronomically rather quickly, um, it, it turned into my profession, a profession that I'd never had any training in uh, nor had any designs on doing, but uh, I kind of learned that I had a, um, I had a skill, I guess, I guess for project management, I think, because mm -hmm. uh, special events a project, uh, yeah. you got to get a lot of things lined up on time. Uh, uh, you got to get personnel lined up. You got to get vendors lined up. You got to get uh, timers, uh, course marking, all that stuff. And so I'm running this gift shop that had a lot of downtime in it because, you know, it was it was a seasonal tourist season at, at Telemark at the time. And uh, so I ended up uh, actually um, uh, renting an office space across from the gift shop. And so Fat Tire Office was across the, the hall from the gift shop. And I kind of went back and forth and would take my projects into the gift shop when I had to or worked out of my office. And uh, it just, I just, all the other guys had a job. I mean, they, uh, 
and then they started leaving the Telemark area. Um, uh, after it, when Tony went through his bankruptcy, the people that worked for Tony moved on. I mean, they, they moved to, to South Dakota and they moved to Madison and they moved to, you know, wherever, Minneapolis, uh, um, Salt Lake City, you know. And so I was kind of left running, running the thing. And um, uh, I guess I did a pretty good job of it because they never fired me. You know, <laughs> you did do a, you did. You did a very good job at it for <laughs> sure. Yep, for sure. You did. Uh, I'm curious about when the big uh, kind of the marquee names started showing up. It began in 1983. How long was it until some national attention was paid to it? Well, so early on, um, uh, we, early on, and this was second, third year, I think, we were designated because uh, uh, we were involved with Norba at the time, which was growing. Mm -hmm. um, um, and, and, and Norba, of course, has changed, you know, their, their kind of modus operandi over the year. But we aligned with them because we could get cheap insurance from them. Oh. And um, um, uh, we were the Midwest championships for, for, for what it was worth. And so um, Joe Murray was the first uh, national star that came, came out. And, and Joe Murray was basically unbeatable. I mean, he, he won a, a lot of races uh, out West and, and uh, in, in the mountain States. And, uh, Interesting enough, Joe Murray never beat the Midwestern guys. I mean, he he was bested because it was a different kind of course. It wasn't hmm. it wasn't a course that featured, you know, grueling, hugely long climbs. We didn't have that. It was just kind of a rolly course. You know, you were tested, but it wasn't like you were burning your lungs up because you were climbing, you know, five thousand feet or something. So right. Joe Murray was uh, was um, uh, one of the first uh, guys to come out. He came out a couple of times. Uh, the very young Fisher mountain bike team came out uh, when, I mean, you just started seeing teams recognized, sponsored by, you know, some of the luminaries of the sport. Certainly at the time, Gary Fisher was Gary Fisher. I mean, he, right. he was, he was his own deal. Um, and some of the, some of the uh, historical uh, characters showed up in those first few years uh, at Lakewood's. Uh, Joe Breeze, uh, one of the guys that's been, always been credited with developing the first mountain bike. Nobody, nobody really claims to be the inventor of the mountain bike. I mean, it developed in a couple of different ways. But if, if you wanted to list three guys that were most influential, Joe Breeze was one of those. And he, he came a couple of times. Charlie Kelly. Uh, who was part of the originators in Marin uh, uh, County, California? Uh, Charlie Kelly came out, and and uh, he, uh, he he actually, if you ever get a, hand, a copy of it, he published a really good uh, book on on the history of uh, mountain bike development. But those were some of the early guys that came out, uh, uh, really before they were big stars, you know, because later on as events grew and sponsorships grew. Uh, and, and media got more involved, you know, then of course in, in, uh, uh, 90 and 91, uh, uh, when LeMond showed up, that, that was, if I had to pick one thing that, that, um, uh, just kind of made me smile more than anything, it was Greg LeMond showing up and, and racing those, 
90 and 91 were really, really wet years. And uh, my my prized possession of all my years uh, running Shawamigan is my autographed uh, Z jersey. I gave him one of my Shawamama jerseys and autographed it. I, I doubt that he's got it hanging on his wall, you know, but I've got his jersey hanging in my in my art studio at home. So uh, that that was pretty cool. And, and he came because, uh, you know, one of our early champions, Mark Fries from lacrosse, uh, uh, Lamont uh, was married or is married to a, a gal from lacrosse and Mark Fries was one of his training partners and but um, Mark Fries came and then you know people like Jeff Bradley who was on the 7-Eleven team and Tom Schuler and, and they basically goaded Lamont into coming and it was his first mountain bike race he, he had never done a mountain bike race and and of course he did he did quite well. I mean he he uh, we shortened the course both of those years uh, that he that he won. And then of course he was a lot of other people that were you know pretty famous names like Bob Roll. Bob, oh. Bob Roll could have been on the podium, but he he um, he could have won the event, but he 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 missed an arrow like like coming oh. into the stadium. And uh, Rishi grew grew up grew. Graywall was here and Ned, Ned Overend, you know, so, so a lot yeah. of top people. And of course, everybody remembers uh, Tilford's uh, presence at the mm -hmm. event, Steve Tilford. He, he, he became a, a frequent flyer, uh, Steve Tilford and uh, uh, Catherine Wahlberg, a several time uh, women's champion and Catherine still, still in the game. She's, uh, she's uh, got some youth teams that she's working with and she still races and, and, uh, course we lost we lost Tilford tragically uh, a few years back in a in an automobile accident but he he was he was so fun to have around you know it just oh yeah he, he always uh animated any event he was you know I'm from Des Moines and and he would come up and race here in Des Moines or around Iowa oh yeah and it was always a delight when uh that old van would pull up with he and yeah. and Catherine and whatever Topeka folks would show yeah. up Bill Stolte um, and some yeah other, yeah some yep. of the other some of the other uh, uh and they still travel in mass I mean they would come up for Shawamigan they'd come up Christmas to New Year's in cable just to just to ski he put a stamp on that thing I don't know how many years but I I know it was we would ask ourselves oh did did Tilford win again who won? Tilford? Yep. Tilford won again. Well, he... Three, he was, four years? Well, he was the first three-peat. He, he was... First three-peat. He was a three-peat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, he also would own the Cable Criterium, as I recall. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he loved... He was he was pretty famous for doing those dirt crits, you know, like yep. at... Um, um, the name escapes me. One, one of those races out west where they do multi-day things that... Um, uh, he he, very tactical racer, very tactical mm -hmm. racer. Oh yeah, I, yep. yep. I, I, I've got a, a I've got a memory of him uh, uh, where uh, I'd say I don't think it was an illegal move, but he kind of put the squeeze on uh, Dewey Dickey right right before oh. the finish line. There was there there was uh, Do, Dewey thought he was going to cut Steve off on a corner, and that that didn't happen. That was never yeah. going to happen, you know. You know, that was always an interesting finish line, at least the one in Telemark, when you come down, drop into the bowl, and you kind of have to climb back out. Oh, yeah. Make a right-hand turn, and you got got 100 yards left. And I'll never forget when, speaking of um, finish line happenings, the Eppens pop out of the woods 
in first and had what seven people lined up behind him and they bomb down that hill and go around that corner and a tandem has it's like driving a Mack truck and you go uphill and everybody just goes around them and, and on but they came close to winning that thing well and i think they won up at order shore one time because that's a that's a pretty uh, uh, pretty um, uh, uh, measured uh, uh, roll in, uh, not quite so dynamic as the as the uh, forty finish. But the interesting thing about that finish that uh, that the Eppens were in the, I think they finished seventh, but in that top seven, uh, uh, and I think this was, I I wonder if that was the same year that Lalonde won on a single speed. I was just about to say that. I think Jesse Lalonde won on single speed. So that was that was 2007, our, our 25th anniversary, which, which certainly was one of the huge notable events. Like it was like it was like what? But but that group it had a tandem. Uh, you know, a 26 inch mountain bike, a 29 inch mountain bike had a single speed. Yep. Um, I remember had a, that. Had a cyclocross bike. You know, I mean, the course, the course lent itself that you could ride whatever you yep. wanted, uh, depending on the conditions. You know, but uh, yeah, the, yeah, the Eppens uh, were 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 great entertainment. They would always be finished with their podium before we got home. <laughs> I'll never forget crossing yeah, the yeah, finish line yeah, and looking yeah. at the logs over to our left, and there's the Eppin standing on the top of the log. And we're like, "Well, we weren't in the top three yeah. again." And and great, and and you certainly were part of those some of those great tandem battles. You know, there was um, uh, there was just some super great uh, tandem. Uh, 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 Paddock uh, Curtis Paddock and uh, uh, Chad uh, Chad McGrath. Uh, race mm-hmm. tandem a number of times. The uh, Dave Preyman, Dave Preyman uh, raced with his yep. wife and two of his kids. Not on the same year, but like he he was on the podium several times uh, uh, in one event or the other, just because they would swap different partners out. Yep, you know. Yep, you're right about and, that. Uh, and always, always a great, always a great story. The tandem riders, they there was always something going on. Uh, fast tandem riders. It was always a a oh, yeah. super yeah. competitive field because it was a great race for tandem. Exactly. I don't know if you ever saw it. I think you go search for it. You can find it. But the, the Eppins uh, did a, uh, did a GoPro uh, video of the 40 one time. Oh, and, and to, and just to watch and listen to them, what's going on, especially in the rollout. I mean, it's just like you're on a rocket ship, you know, and just once they start winding that up, you know, you know, another, you talk, I was just uh, talking to uh, champions. Another real interesting story, Dave was, um, uh, was uh, Jeff Hall, Jeff Hall, who still, who still races and is still competitive, but Jeff won the, Jeff won the 40 when he was 19 years old. He'd, he'd earlier won the short and fat, but when he was 19, he won the 40 and then he won it again when he was 40 years old. Oh, wow. Like, yeah, yeah. So that was, I mean, that was quite a gap, like a 20-year gap between championships, you know, and uh, just always kind of just a quiet, quiet competitor, you know. Yep. And great, great women champions, too. You know, um, Jenna Reinhardt, you know, Jenna's Jenna's just super gal, won it six times, yep. you know, 
and uh, uh, Olympians like uh, Leah Davidson uh, raced a couple of times and won, and, and uh, of course Catherine Wahlberg and and uh, you know some of the some of those other people, some of the other pros that show up and oh, always gracious. The pros that would show up were always, and now they got a big pro purse, you know, like like it's a whole different deal now. There's it a, is a whole different deal for sure. Yeah, yeah. There's a separate pro pro purse. So yeah, which is cool. We get to kind of watch them finish. However, I was still cleaning the mud out of my ears when uh, the pro kids came in. They didn't beat us, however, which was which was good. But uh, uh, yeah, we, we kind of missed the finish because we're still trying to trying to get the mud off of that was the muddiest. Yep. That was last year was the muddiest year we've ever done. It just poured on us exactly hitting Martell's pothole. We're Oh, just yeah. about to yeah. dive into that and a clap of thunder and it is dark as night and the rains come and then we're dropping down that sandy gully into uh oh the that super eroded the super eroded thing that we've we've it, it's I, i'm all into sustainable and responsible riding we we if we're going to go down into martels that's the only way we can get down in there there's there's I mean, there is the Canvas single track, but that's that's just inaccessible for any emergency vehicle or anything like that. So, so we've gone in and fixed that, and and that that trail was it was an old skitter trail from way back, back when they logged it. Oh wow! You know, I mean, that's why it was created was it was a skitter trail, huh. and but it's totally it's just rock and sand, and it just washes away every year. And, it and, does uh, wash away. We used to walk it, now we ride it. And- Boy, I took a big gulp this year, and I was just like, D, I'm just going to try to not kill us and make it through this thing. But that's exactly where that's, the heavens opened. And yeah, yeah, that's a good goal. That's a good goal. Such yeah. a muddy year. Speaking of interesting years, I was there in 2001, and yeah. Schwamigan was exactly one week after the attacks of yeah. September 11th. Yet you held the race anyway. What went into that decision? And I want to describe. I want to hear your overall sense of of that weekend. You know, I don't. Um, I don't have it anymore because it was on my work computer. But I saved every single email I got from people that I responded to. Every. I mean, I I was always really good at responding to to emails. Agreed. And just to hear the outpouring from people, um, they wanted to come but they couldn't come. Um, uh, they were amazed that we were holding the race. Why didn't we cancel a race? And I'm glad it happened far enough away from the event weekend that we had time to just compose ourselves and uh, certainly not get over the shock because it was it was historically the most shocking thing that's happened to any of us in in our lives. I would say. Um, but we sat down and we, you, you know, we talked about it and we decided, you know, there's a lot of people that need, uh, need something to hold on to. You know, they need something, they need some sanity in their life. They need, they need something that'll reassure them that things are okay. And I, I would say from a competitive, you know, side of things, it was probably the mellowest race that ever happened because people 
you know, people, I'm, I'm choking up just thinking about it. People were, people were bonded by the fact that they made it to Shawamigan and that we ran it. And um, uh, I, I'm very, I'm very glad uh, that we ran the race. Uh, contrary, I mean, there were some people that didn't think we should, but, but ultimately we had to make the decision what we wanted to do. And, and uh, um, yeah, I was wondering who, what was it? Two thousand one. That was a till. That was a Tilford year. Yeah, I I had a. I took a lot of time to just to exchange with people, you know what was going on. Where were they? And you know, I I had people that were going to fly out from the East Coast and they packed it in a pickup truck and drove out. Oh wow! You know, just so they they could be a part of it because nobody was flying. Right. You know, nobody was flying in then. But right. uh, yeah, that was. Um, that was certainly, yeah, that was, that was a really big time. You yeah, know, that was bigger 40, 40 years of this event, you know, my 35 years at the helm, there was some pretty significant things that happened. And that, that certainly was something that kind of woke everybody up to a, to a sadly new reality. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. I was thankful you had it and I'll just never forget. That's the quietest I don't know, thousand people, fifteen hundred people have ever been for the playing of the national anthem. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It was amazing. So thank you for holding it that year. But yeah, yeah, you bet. Telemark has been through a lot. And I know that uh oh, that right. that yeah. things are a little <laughs> very different now. But gosh, you went through every ounce of telemark ownership or lack of ownership what was that like every year chasing that bouncing ball chasing that moving target with where to hold because in the early years i was there there was a pasta dinner at telemark lodge packet pickup the expo was yeah. inside and then then it wasn't and then the lodge was closed and then we could shower and then we it just every year was something different. Yep, How hard yep. was that for you to chase that moving target? Well, I tell you, Dave, I, I you know, and I've said this all throughout. Uh, I, I, I may have had some uh, organizational skills, but my, my long-term staff, they were the best at problem solving. I mean, I mean, I had, I, I kept a length of service uh, spreadsheet. And, and, you know, after 35 years, I had people that had been with me for 35 years, you know, or 25 years or, or 20 years. I mean, um, at the end there, of course, we were all aging, you know, but uh, uh, the, the people I had on my staff that were, you know, they were, they were from Cable and they were from Hayward and from Namakagan and from Sealy. Uh, whatever we had to do... Uh, they knew how what we had to put together to do it. I mean, I mean, when when they tore the Coliseum down, uh, that was our source of power. So where are we going to get power? And I remember we took power. I remember that I used to call it Little Chernobyl. They took power out of the lift shack down at the base oh. of the hill, and it was like a four forty you know, three phase circuit or something. And Ernie, Ernie from outside maintenance, uh, uh, somehow built some kind of step down, you know, transformer or something. And I thought, Oh my God, this thing could blow the whole thing up, you know, but somehow, and that's how we got power, 
you know, and then, and then, and then of course we got into the big tent, mm-hmm. like, like, so, so that was a really fun thing. Once, once the Coliseum was finally cleaned up, uh, well, let's pitch a big tent. And well, that was, that was super fun. Yeah. You that, know, I really enjoyed putting the big tent up. Yeah. That, you know? that became home. That became Schwamigan home. That was Shawamigan home. Yeah. And um, so, and we had to, we had to figure out how to do the food vending and, and, uh, uh, and and now I tell you, uh, there's good things on the horizon with the Berkey acquiring the property. Very good things. Uh, The lodge is gone. That's a good thing. I'll be the first person to say that. I, I was pretty involved with it. You know, I, uh, Sarah and I owned one of the timeshares and I, I, for good or bad, I became a, a timeshare owner. I was on their board. I was the president of the board through, through 10 difficult years. And, uh, so, you know, I, I was impacted more by Telemark, not just the event, but the fact that the timeshare association was about to go down because they had acquired the lodge and they, and they didn't have enough money to make a go of it. And, and, um, but the whole property there, that was almost a thousand acres. That property was going nowhere to be developed until that lodge left. Because hmm. the lodge was a huge liability. I mean, I mean, you and I could have scraped together the money to buy to buy the thing. Right. But we would have had to do something with the lodge. Right. And so that that the Berkey uh, acquired the property, did some good fundraising. Uh, they, they, and they're doing a, uh, uh, it's not a top heavy development. Top heavy would be, let's buy the lodge, try to fix up the lodge and, and make it go again. Well, there was so much negative, uh, uh, marketing towards Telemark and what it had gone through and it was really dated. And I mean, the place was just falling apart. So that, that it was quite interesting to watch it get torn down. You know, and mm-hmm. I, I took many bike rides over there just to just to watch him do it, as many people did. But now what's going on with uh, how the Berkey's developing it and they've got some partnerships and, and uh, uh, it's, it's going to be really good. It's going to be really good. More events, more, more different types of events. And, and uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, Trex, Trex ponied up a sizable chunk of change. They're going to be one of their development partners on the new trail system and this other organization, One Track Mind, which is a new organization run by a, one by a, one, a, a Shawamigan competitor, actually. Um, give, give it a few more years. You're, you're going to be. And I think they're working out their relationship with the Shawamigan better. And and my hope, because the uh, so the Berkey picked up the Bora Epic the the um, uh, long uh, marathon uh, single track race and and also gravel race it's a two-day event they just had it a couple weeks ago um but they moved the finish line back to the ski hill they're not using the berkey start area where the ski races start they moved it back i mean i mean the old finish tower is sitting right on the hill where i used to put it up and they're starting to reuse that venue so you know, I'm hoping that sometime maybe uh, they'd work that out with Shawamigan and they'd think of doing that. Yeah, you know? uh, that's kind of cool. Uh, I feel like Phoenix beginning to rise from the ashes. That's a very good, that's a very, yeah, 
very good thing. And it's been a lot of years. I mean, oh, the gosh. thing's been, it's been a lot of years. And, and it's, uh, I used to, so when I was on the, uh, we were the last gift shop standing there and I was part of the timeshare association. So I would do, uh, uh, Monday morning timeshare guest orientation. Like they'd have a little coffee and donut thing on Monday morning, you know, when the timeshare guests had checked in the night before. And I could do, I could do 55 years of troubled uh, telemark financial history in about eight minutes, like without <laughs> notes. Like, like, I mean, cause that was always the question. And, and, and if I thought about it, I could do it for you now, but I'm going to spare you the, the agony. But yeah, I used to talk about all the different phases of what happened and, 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 you know, and now, you know, sure. Tony went bankrupt. He lost it. His empire is gone, but now, you know, there's a now there's more of a resurgence, and they're recognizing uh, Tony Wise for uh, the huge entrepreneurial visionary and and uh, uh, special events proponent that he is. And uh, in the in the in the new Birch Scroll coming out, actually, I just got interviewed uh, for an article about Tony, and there's there's going to be a plaza, and there's going to be a statue of Tony, and some of the other people that were important to Telemark. So so they're 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 retaining and re- reviving that history. And uh, so let's remember the good things and and move on to the to the next next phase. And and I I think you'll you'll see that happen. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. You know, we would, you did, we haven't even talked about Fat Tracks, the newspaper you would publish twice a yeah. year, but pre-internet, I would wait for that Fat Tracks to find out the status of Telemark. Like, oh, oh yeah. is it going to be there? Is it going to be open? Is it going to be closed? Are we going to have a place to shower? Are we going to have pizza after the race? Like, what's the status of Telemark? And you'd find out twice a year in the Fat Tracks newspaper. And I, I remember the one Fat Tracks I, I wrote when you could first start to find things on a web page. Mm. I mean, I mean, I mean, I used to type all my letters with a manual typewriter for Pete's sakes, you know, right. Right. You know? And, uh, so yeah, that whole, you know, and, and then fat tracks, I, I learned how to do that from Tom Kelly, who was one of the originators of the event. Uh, he was uh, Tony's PR guy. Uh, Tom was a guy that, was laying down in the middle of Highway 63 and took the picture of Bob Chatterton in his church pants coming around the corner. That nobody has that shot. We got we got like the most iconic, as far as I'm concerned, iconic shot in the history of mountain bike is that shot with the old Hayward Hotel in the background. Tom Tom went on to be the uh, communications director, PR guy for the ski association after he left Telemark for a very successful career. He's in the, he's in the skiing hall of fame and wow. I still uh, see him and communicate with him, but he, he taught me how to write fat tracks and uh, I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed writing those stories and especially uh, after the race and interviewing people and learning how things shook out out there, you know, but uh, yeah, but that's gone. Nobody does print media anymore. That, that is an accurate statement. But we did always enjoy when Fat Tracks would show up in the mailbox. My, yeah, oh, thanks. Thanks. My whole claim to fame was actually 2001 was my third year. And I had three goals. Break three hours. Make it up fire tower without stopping or putting a foot down. Oh yeah, and make the front page of 
fat tracks and I did all three and I haven't run, ridden my single bike since we've been tandem ever since. So, so what was it? I'll have to, I'll have to see if I can find a copy. 2001. I guarantee you, I still have a copy somewhere because I was, yeah. I was excited about that. Well, and you go back to that. So when that first started, actually, I was just down at the print shop in, in Hayward this morning that uh, printed fat tracks. That was back when uh, we shot everything black and white. And I would get contact sheets and I would take my little loop and I'd, I'd look at these and then and then we'd, we'd go, OK, this one, this one, this and we'd, we'd print them. There was no digital nothing. And um, when you went to lay the newspaper out, they'd spit the copy out on the shiny paper that you cut with an exacto knife. And then you you rolled hot beeswax on the bottom and you laid the columns down. And, and, and so I, you know, I would go and help them lay the thing out. And uh, yeah, you'd actually have these actual boards that you would wax up your copy. And, and uh, so, yeah, boy, that technology changed. Oh boy, has it. <laughs> yeah. I'm just blown away that like, that was part of putting fat tracks together. Yeah, it was part of putting fat tracks together, yeah. That just yeah. means uh, you've been around a long time though, Gary, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> I'm curious about how you came to make the decision to sell Schwamm again and why Lifetime? Sure. That's a good question. Um, well, so, you know, all the guys that had started the event, I mean, I mean, I was, I was 30 years into running the event. So getting near to whatever's considered retirement time, uh, uh, as were all of the other guys, uh, the other five guys that were involved and we, we didn't have a lot of, you know, directors meetings, but we would meet once a year and we'd always talk about, well, what's the next step? Do we, you know, when Gary gets ready to go, do we hire a new director, have him kind of oversee it and, and, um, hang on to the ownership or do we sell it? And, um, uh, Predominantly, the guys uh, thought that selling it was the best idea. And Lifetime had approached us about buying it, uh, I would say, for years, hmm. for, a num for a number of years. They, they, uh, they recognized it as a good event, and, and uh, a, a lot of Lifetime people had come, and, and uh, they, they were sponsored for a while there uh, before they owned the event. But... Um, the other guys, and this was after we uh, we had bought an office. We got out of Telemark. We bought an office so that we had our own place. And, and uh, kind of the theory, um, uh, Dave, was that the best time to sell something is when somebody wants to buy it. <laughs> True. And, uh, so it, it kind of happened. The, the decision wasn't hasty, but there was uh, all of a sudden we were talking about selling the event and you know, we had actually talked, had it been a few years later, uh, it might've gone to the Berkey, you know, huh. but the Berkey, but the Berkey wasn't acquiring other events. The Berkey didn't particularly like the Schwamigan event on the Berkey trail. Oh. Cause we, we, there's a little wear and tear there, which, which we were always responsible for fixing or, you know, financing its repair, but they, they, they weren't into the, uh, multiple event promotions that they are now. I mean, I mean, the Berkey would have bought it in a heartbeat. 
but it wasn't at that time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a couple of other private people that had come to me earlier and just said, you know, what are you, what are your plans? You know, I'm kind of interested in, and uh, I, I cold called, uh, I cold called the people out at uh, Leadville. Ken. Um, Kluber. Oh, Ken, Ken Kluber. Yeah. I call I, I, I called him up and just said, hi, Ken. And told him who I was. And, and, uh, and uh, they had acquired Leadville like a couple, a year, two years earlier. And, you know, I just asked him what was his experience? What, what, how, how, what did he feel about that? And um, um, it, it was, it, it turned it into a different reality because you couldn't have a more hometown event than the Shawamigan. I mean, it was me going into the office, uh, working with my buddies, you know, and, um, uh, but it was clear that this was an organization that had the chops to, um, perpetuate it, you know, and it was important to us to perpetuate the event. I mean, that, that was really, cause everybody that got the event started again, they were, they were somehow tied into the tourist industry in the local area. And this was a boon. This mm -hmm. was a very, very important thing. It was an off season promotion. I mean, we picked the exact right time to do it. There's very little off season up here now, but, uh, um, our, one of our bottom line goals was to perpetuate the event for the betterment of the community. And, and, um, so we, we negotiated that with lifetime. And, and, uh, the interesting thing is after being a self-employed, uh, a self owner of the event for many years, I got myself a corporate job. And so, so all of a sudden, you know, uh, I, I wasn't doing my own payroll. You know, I, I wasn't writing my own checks anymore. I didn't have a checkbook anymore. You know, I had to, I had to go through the corporate accounts receivable and accounts payable. And, and, uh, and there were other people making decisions and, and, uh, they were quite nice. They, they let me run the event. I, I would say there were very few times that, um, they made decisions that I wasn't happy with, you know, um, um, uh, um, thing, I mean, things were pretty copacetic mm -hmm. and, uh, and then the time came, I, I told them I'd work, I'd, I'd run the event for, uh, we had nothing in writing, but I told them I'd do it for five years after we sold the event. And I think it ended up being six years and, and, you know, initially like anything, nobody likes change. You know, I mean, anytime there's a change, somebody's going to speak up about the change they don't like. You know, I'm never coming back there again. And, I, you know, I got to we need to move on, you know. Right. And and so some people didn't didn't come again. Some people took a break and then they came back. And and certainly the the format of the event changed. You know, we were talking about the the multi-day thing. You know, we made the decision you know, the decisions to a limit the, uh, enrollment in the event just to maintain our own sanity. And we made the decisions to, again, maintain the sanity of the staff. Uh, we just kind of whittled away those Sunday events. Right. We just, we didn't do them anymore because the people that did them loved them. We loved putting them on, but they were a ton of work for a little bit of participation. And, um, you know, now you look at formats, multi-day events like the Berkey's, uh, their uh, Epic Bike Fest. You know, they do a big single track one day. 
and then they do a big gravel race the next day. Well, that would have been a great idea. But <laughs> right. There was no gravel. Right. There was no gravel race. You know, we're trying to get off of gravel. You know, we. we so you know, uh, things changed, and and I think people have gotten over it, and um, uh, I think Lifetime's done well. You know, they have they have a a, a larger vision. Uh, you know, with their whole pro thing that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you know, you run. I, I was never a fan of uh, giving a prize purse. I, I always said if I had an extra twenty thousand dollars, I I was never hesitant to say. I'd give myself a raise. I'd give Trish, who was my office office person for 25 years, a raise, and I'd have a better volunteer party. Mm. That's what I would do with $10,000 rather than give it to six people, you know, or 10 people. Um, you offer a big prize purse and, and all those top dogs come like their lifetime Grand Prix. All of a sudden, you've got uh, media exposure that you never had before. And if you have media exposure, then that helps with your sponsorships. You know, I'm sure all of their sponsorships that they have have more zeros after them than anything I ever mm-hmm. did, because I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't offer that. You know, I didn't offer that big media exposure. And there was, well, what did I know from social media? I mean, that that was, you know, I was just learning that when I when I checked out. Yeah. You know, now, now I think I could do do okay on it, but uh, uh, social media was. Fat tracks twice a year showing up in your mailbox. Fat tracks, <laughs> yeah, What did thirty-five years of Schwamigan bring to you? I tell you, in in, I'm learning this more and more every day. I I, I live in a, a a wonderful community. This cable, I, cable, Sealy, Hayward, Drummond. You know this community up here. Uh, it's all connected. I mean, I mean, you're, I continue to volunteer for every event. I'm, I'm parking. I'm, I'm a parking car, a car parking guy, you know, and that's what I'm known for. And I have my little crew and that's what I organize now. And people, people look to me when they, when they, uh, they want to start something, you know, like, like, what does your experience tell you know, if we do this, will this be a good idea? Well, I can't tell you if it's a, it'll be a good idea or not, but I can tell you some things to avoid maybe. Uh, but I, I would say the sense of community that we have here, I, I am super happy to be living in the situation that I have. Um, uh, very busy in my retired life. Uh, my, my wife is a very successful artist and, and I'm, I help manage her art career. Um, she, she might be the artist, but I'm accounts payable, accounts receivable, you know, uh, shipping, receiving, you know, all of that publicist, like I was working on a press release for her today. So I'm doing a lot of the similar things I did in the office. I'm just doing it in, in our own world, but, uh, yeah, it just taught me the importance of, um, uh, making connections in a community and people helping each other out. And that's something that happens in this community quite a bit yeah. with all the different events and the, and the and the and the sports group. I mean, there are so many groups. Like you said, you were going for a ride tonight. There, I I manage a Tuesday morning gravel ride. There's a Wednesday road mountain bike ride. There's a Thursday night ride. Simply, I mean, there are so many gatherings of like-minded people to do healthy things that uh, that that I might have had a little something to do with that. Like the development of Camba. 
You know, I mean, I, I raised I raised a lot of money for Canva mm-hmm. uh, through 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 the event, and I, I uh, that's that was quite a legacy. I like I like that. I'll, I'll take that. You know. Yeah. Well, I'd say you definitely have left a legacy of of memories of Canva of great weekends up in the North Woods of great friends. Thanks. I, I know I speak for literally thousands of people in thanking you for nurturing that race along and helping it yeah, uh, continue to yeah. uh, become what it, what, what it is, which is. I, I was a lucky guy to have been entrusted with that by the guys that started the race. Yeah. Well, we're lucky yeah. that uh, <laughs> you were helping run a gift shop in the North woods <laughs> and had some time on your hands and were able to, to put in the kind of time it needed. But uh, self-employed guy with seasonal downtime on my hands. That's perfect combination. Perfect combination. (laughs) So Gary, I want to thank you too for spending time with me to talk about the last 40 years. Oh, it's a great connection. Yeah, it was a great connection, Dave. Thanks. Thanks. And of course I remember you guys riding a tandem, but you know, I'm, I'm not going to say you were my, my favorite tandem that my favorite tandem, and I, I can't remember the guy's names, but they, they showed up more than one year on a single speed uh, steel tandem wearing leisure suits. Yep, I remember. And uh, (laughs) I'm pretty sure we usually beat them because we're like, see those guys, we got to take them down. We, and I think they were four or five hours. Of course we've been four or five hours a time or two, but uh, no, I know who you're talking about. They had to be pushing that beast up the hill, uh, just about every hill they rode. For sure, they were great guys. They were great guys. A lot of great tandems over the years. It was kind of fun. We would often see some of the same people on tandems. Uh, oh yeah, each year, which is is oh, yes. kind of fun. Yeah. So um, next time you come to the event, uh, parking cars usually one 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 morning. Out of the- I will uh, and the look other, for you. The other, the other places I go uh, after the fire tower climb. So after I get done parking cars, I go out and do course control. After you climb the fire tower and you're coming off the fire tower and head back south, I'm right at that corner. It's, it, it, my only regret is I get to see everybody, but everybody's moving pretty fast at that point. They're 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 losing elevation. So. Is that where we turn right and head onto the Berkey with like nine miles to go? No, uh, it, I'm at the top of the. So you come over the fire tower climb. And then you start descending over the top of the fire tower and you actually take a sharp left. Oh, I can picture where you're talking. Yep. And then you're heading back to that turn where you go back up to the Berkey Hill. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm more at the top of that climb. Yeah. You, you just, you're about to lose all of the elevation that you just won by climbing the fire tower. I love that section because fire tower is so hard and you're kind of anxious about it for so many miles and then you finally hit it and you head up it and you get up and yeah. over it and somebody gives you a bratwurst or I got a Something. I got a shot of maple syrup this year. Oh um, yeah. I've yeah. had uh, a shot of beer. They're handing Twizzlers, Twinkie. I've had Twinkie at the top, all kinds of stuff. But you're so glad to get over that. And then that next section, like, it's a long downhill and on a tandem, you're, that's just a delight. You're rocking. And then, and then you get into what they call the seven sisters, the, the climbs back up to the, up, back up to the high point. Then I have to tell you the very first year I did it, 1999, I'm, I'm in this seven sisters part on the Berkey trail and there's people like 
off to the side of the trail, sitting on the hillside. And I'm like, what? What are they doing there? Why are they just sitting there? We've got seven miles to go, eight miles to go. Why are they just sitting yep. there? And then a mile later, I'm going up one of those climbs and both of my legs just seize up. Oh, I could not pedal. And I was like, oh, that's what they were doing there. They couldn't move. Oh, that hurt so well, bad. Joe Joe Parkin, I was interviewing Joe Parkin once. I don't know if you remember that name. Um, he he was a he was a, a on, on a European team for a long time and and one of the big names that won in in the early nineties. But uh, I was interviewing him about that climb because usually somebody's making a break there and he says, "Yeah, I don't know what was going on, but I was looking around for a place I could build a cabin." Like he, <laughs> like he was, it was so slow, he was looking for some property. That's awesome. You know? <laughs> That's awesome. I can relate to that for sure. Well, and just a hot tip if you ever get a chance go right it in the opposite direction because it really rolls nice the other it way. It does it. So it was uh, yeah. by design you had us ever climbing up those up those seven that sisters. Was, that was that was Phil's deal. Yeah. You know that was Phil's deal. So hey enjoy your ride tonight. All Thanks right. Thanks for the interview. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll look for you in the parking lot. Thanks again for listening today, and thanks tons to Gary Crandall for making time to talk with me. It was a real honor that he agreed to come on, and a real treat to see him again. And I will look forward to seeing him again this fall in the parking lot. Maybe we'll see a bunch of you up there as well. If you enjoyed today's show, I would love it if you would rate and review on your favorite podcast platform. And give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook. When you do, it really helps grow the show's audience. Now, if you really love the show and you want to see it continue and thrive, feel free to support it financially. Just look for the Bike Talk with Dave podcast at buymeacoffee.com. And when you do, I'll be happy to send you a sticker. I'd like to thank both Chain and Spoke Coffee as well as bikeiowa.com for supporting the show. Bikeiowa.com is the online host of Bike Talk with Dave. BikeIowa.com has one of the most extensive list of cycling events anywhere, from mountain bike races to party rides. Bike Iowa has it all, including the Core 4 on August 19th, and I'm planning on being there to tackle the gravel, single track, and pavement, and I'd love to see you there as well. Check it out. Are you looking for your next epic cycling adventure? We've got one for you this summer that challenges all the surface types. When the folks at Core 4 say, no surface untouched, they mean it. Champagne gravel, pavement, speedy single track, and all the level B roads. Core 4 doesn't stop at four surface types. They've got an ethos to get all bodies on bikes, and it comes through initiatives which support socioeconomic justice, gender equality, and bike advocacy. It's all about community, opportunity, recreation, and engagement at Core 4. Go early, bring the fam, they've got everything. Bikes, bevs, packet pickup party at Big Grove, live music, free camping, and finish line fun for all. Do not miss the No Surface Untouched action in Iowa City on Saturday, August 19th, 100 50 and 25 mile options. Follow along on Instagram at Core4Bike and get in the lineup. 
I'm also excited to head to Lincoln, Nebraska on August 25th, where Dee and I will be sailing our tandem through the gravel seas in the 75-mile version of the Gravel Worlds. Remember, you can find Core 4 and so many more events. Gravel, mountain bike, road, whatever you like at bikeiowa.com. Thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for even more awesome bike adventures. And remember, you can find every episode and stream them right on your computer or your device from anywhere at biketalk.bike. Have a great week and we'll see you on the trails.